Welcome to Human Resources, a podcast exploring some of the difficult, uplifting moments we face in the process of being a person. Each episode asks a question that seems too simple to ask, such as, are we good at making mistakes or what is a real friend? My name's Hannah Jane Walker. I'm a theatre maker and a poet, and I'm really glad that you made it here. And I hope that you enjoy this space. This podcast was funded by Arts Council England. This episode is about friends. This is not about work friends, school friends, childhood friends, on the on the pull friends, flatmate friends, gendered friends, queer friends baby group friends, down the pub friends, party friends, and not that guy down the street who you like to exchange spinal tap quotes with. This is not, this is not even about Twitter friends or Facebook friends or Instagram friends. This is about real friends. My grandma's 96 and she says she doesn't know why she's still alive, but she reckons that maybe it's because she's too wicked to die. The most likely reason, though, that she's still alive is because she has a lot of friends. I mean, she makes friends with, like, everyone she meets, you know. She used to work as a cleaner at Cambridge University. She worked there for, like, 40 years before she retired. And she used to make friends with all of the international students because she was really worried about them not having enough real contact time with friends, what with being so far away from home. I'm not saying that she made real friends with them. I mean, maybe she did, but she made time for them and they made time for her. Now, as I said, she's 96 and she has lived through a lot. You know, she remembers things like bombers flying over the backyard. And she says, she says real life success. What that looks like is being able to count your real friends on one hand. What is a real friend? I I mean, I suppose for the purposes of this, I need to offer some kind of definition. So this is not about passing friendships, but about deep and perhaps even loving relationships with people that you keep, people in whom you're invested and who are invested in you. We don't talk that much about friendship, but there's been a lot of research done into it. A clinical review study of 300,000 people revealed that living a longer and happier life is not just about diet and exercise or genetics. They found that people with strong, real friendships have 50% chance of a better survival rate and the health risk of not having real friends was measured as the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. A conversation with a good friend somehow sort of gets inside your body um, and it it changes the way that your body works. I mean, quite literally, it it does that. It, It affects your blood pressure, your sleep, your stress responses, your immune system. Five real friends, the equivalent to not smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I wonder who, I wonder who yours are. Actually, If you could just take a second, I want you to think about your friends. And I want you to think about who of those are your real friends. Now, forgive me for this next bit, but um, 
Do you think that each person on that list would include you on their list? Research into this has shown that, you know, only about half the time will the people that you consider to be your friend will also consider you to be their real friend. And of course, that means that only about half the time do you consider someone who thinks of you as a friend to be your real friend. And there's loads of possible reasons for that. But usually it's because someone's definition of a friend will differ from somebody else's. And it's exactly that grey area of kind of murky and very human confusion that I'm really interested in. I think it's those those different interpretations within a friendship of what of what friendship is and what leads to a whole host of possible misunderstandings. I think we're really good at promoting friendship as something really important and lovely, but we're not very good at describing it and giving it language and real importance or status. I think we still live in a culture that prioritises romantic pairing above all else. For many people, the top of our life priority list might look something like this. Family, work, maybe exercise. Time with friends often ends up somewhere near the bottom. Say you're introducing your closest friend to someone new. I mean, how do you even do that? How do you even give that relationship significance? Quite literally, what do you say when you're introducing the person who is your friend, yet possibly the closest person to you in the world? Do you say, this is my, this is my best friend? Sounds a little bit like, uh, a little bit like primary school still. Do you say, this is my life partner? That sounds romantic. Do you say, this is one of my people? I think it sounds a little bit proprietal. Do you say, this is one of my tribe? I think that sounds a bit of a thing to say to be honest so where is the language for friendship you know where are the stories and the good stories the ones where you don't have to drive off a cliff as the price for being being friends where are the rituals some relationships outlast a lot of romantic relationships some friendships frame whole lives doesn't that deserve as much focus as romantic culture that's not to say that these rituals have not ever existed. In medieval Europe, there was a there was a church-based friendship ceremony that you could partake in. And we all know that, you know, film trope of palms being cut, mixing together the blood as a promise somehow to be part of each other. The single most obvious marker that we collectively do not consider friendship to be as important as romantic relationships is the lack of cultural tropes. When somebody romantically breaks up, we societally have an understanding of the rituals of that, you know, like ice cream and sitting around talking for hours and getting rid of a box of possessions. But what about when friendships end? That is a very untalked about thing. Because not all friendships last. Some friendships burn very bright and then they go out. I had one of those and um, I really thought it would be there as a thing for forever. Um, And I really didn't know what to do with the grief of it. Like it really didn't feel socially acceptable to talk about it. Um, But it sort of felt like there was some kind of heat. The grief was like some kind of heat and it it kept me up a lot at night. And often I would go and sit outside in the garden at the night, just trying to get some of that heat out of me somehow, just by looking at the sky. And I'm genuinely okay with that now. But that experience would have been a lot easier if there was a language for it, a way of naming that. 
think that friendship is a lot more important and a lot more full of joy and pain and more primary than the story we tell about it as something that's nice and cosy and secondary to our lives. Before COVID-19, I was making a show, a piece of theatre with someone who I'm going to introduce you to in a moment, someone who I am in the process of becoming real friends with. The show was about friendship, and she and I are, in some ways, quite unlikely friends. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Rachel Mariner. (laughs) I am a lawyer and a playwright who lives in Cambridge, maybe not for very much longer. And, and you're my friend. Yes, that's true. That's the kind of important thing here. <laughs> Rachel and I have spent quite a lot of time talking about friendship while slowly becoming friends. And because we were making the show, we've done a few sort of devising experiments. Like we tried to explain what real friendship feels like to each of us to see if our versions match up. Here's Rachel's. Well, the mafia reference was, it's, it's like, well, that's the word, paisano, in, you know, in like Queens, if you're in the mob, you're a paisano, which is Italian for a friend, like young friend. Um, and it's this kind of right or wrong, I have this loyalty to you. And... Um, it's sort of, it's the helping bury the bodies kind of of loyalty. Which I find really funny for some reason. It really <laughs> tickles my humour. I don't know why. Well, because the conception, because all conceptions of American politics and American friendships, like, essentially go back to, like, the godfather. To describe my version of friendship, I used an image. So uh, mine is... Mine is set in the past in a small rural encampment where I live with my big, messy, high-maintenance family. That's quite literal, by the way. And I've pledged my allegiance to a limited number of very worthwhile, proper humans who I consider to be friends. And to honour this allegiance, I have taken pilgrimage journeys of sorts. And I've ridden over there on horseback and we've exchanged some sort of, I don't know, like brass token that is stamped with both our symbols. Um... And if that person needs me, then they just need to hold that brass token in the air and shout, Hannah! And I will get on a horse and I will just, I will be there. Rachel and I, um, we ran a workshop while developing the show that we were making. It was an open workshop for anyone that, that was interested in attending and exploring the subject of friendship. And this really amazing group of people attended. And it was it was quite beautiful how open and honest people were about the discomfort and the transactions of friendship. And there was one thing that we heard time and time again. What people did and how they behaved when they... When, when they wanted to exit a friendship or, or, or maybe hadn't even cognitively reached that point of realisation yet, but knew that they were uncomfortable in, in a friendship. Like someone described it as almost being made to physically contort themselves into a position where they're like in a back bend and they're holding it and they're holding it and they're holding it. And the other person hasn't even noticed. And then it reached the point where they go enough and they just have to slam the door in the other person's yeah. face. And that says to me that there's like a lack of... And I, and, I, and I think that's quite common. I don't think it was just that person's experience that was re- echoed and repeated throughout the workshop quite a lot in different ways. Yeah. That there's often like 
a traversing of a boundary of, dis- of, of, of that's not comfortable for one or other parties and and then it ends to something it leads to something ending abruptly and that says to me that we haven't got enough like dialogue around friendship and the fact that friendships change and move and I suppose that's why I wanted to make this with you really is to just really want there to be to be to be more conversations around that work that it takes to move with friendships to carry them with you as you go throughout your life something else that we did um we each acted out what a friendship funeral for an important lost friendship would be like for us each to give it give the friendship and friendship itself some importance and so Rachel's was this massive Italian American affair where the women all wore a nurse's sunglasses and everyone looked very elegant and it was in this big church and there was this big guy in a suit standing up at the front of the wake making parking announcements about the limo blocking the entrance and explaining which cannelloni dishes had meat in them and which were dairy free mine was uh mine was like a circle of of leaves and herbs and wild flowers it's called a mandala and um while selecting the leaves and think on the friendship you know all of the joy and all the reasons to let it go and then once the mandala is finished i'd stand by it in silence and have i think you know say goodbye and just leave the mandala there to get blown away or to biodegrade or be eaten by something And I really recommend doing that with a friend. Um, just ask them to describe to you what what friendship to them is like. Like Rachel and I, we learned so much about each other through doing it. I mean, we took the piss a lot too. I suppose what I learned, um, the things I already knew, but they just crystallised. I mean, I, I realised how very funny Rachel is and how American, <laughs> how despite living in the UK for over 10 years, she her cultural reference points are very American and how loyal and um, how clever she is. And it turns out I'm a romantic who thinks mainly in weird historical images and maybe believes a bit in, in magic. So um, whilst exploring friendship, Rachel, um, Rachel raised this interesting thing about the difference in how Americans and the British make friends. Frequently how they are, and this is like this big management consulting firm taught uh, Americans moving to Britain for work and British moving to America, the, uh, America, that Americans were like peaches and British were like coconuts. And I did find this to be true where if you're, it's for Americans or peaches where it's really easy to break through that skin, that initial skin of resistance to having a relationship. And you're in there, like they'll meet you and they'll invite you to a party. They'll meet you. I remember an Oxford friend moved over and it was like, come on the boat with our friend, you know, come sailing with us like the next day. Uh, but there's a pit, there's a hard part at the center that um, they guard and that you just don't ever get to know that Americans sort of go through stuff alone at the center but the coconut is the british have this very like it's almost impossible to be invited to their house to get them to come to your house to sort of share intimate um observations or to suffer together um but then once you do once you do break through that shell you are in the wash you're in the milky center wash and you're almost indistinguishable from family and with british friends that i've made 
that is definitely what definitely once you break through, once you've sort of gotten into their house, it's like you could conceivably <laughs> never leave, right? Like they kind of you're part of their family. I love this. To idea. be fair, Rachel has actually only ever been to my house once and that was at a party and I've been to her house loads. Rachel said over and over again while we were making the show that the the most important thing in friendship is playing. And I, I really disagreed with that. I was like, no, friendship is Friendship is really serious. It's about being serious. Um, but having had a lot more time to think, obviously, obviously play can take all sorts of forms. And for me, a real friendship has two main ingredients, real empathy for each other and a sort of shared impishness. Rachel definitely has that. I remember being at a venue and there was a really tall man and <laughs> you went <laughs> and we were sitting there having a cup of tea and he walked over to say oh the lights are on in the studio now and you went wow what a tall man <laughs> and he was standing right next to us and it was so awful but it was so fun. it was so funny and um yeah that I really um, the play for me is in that wickedness of like saying the thing which shouldn't really be said and stepping outside of like slightly traversing the play boundary of what is okay, I suppose, in British culture in particular. Um, oh, I, yeah. I find that really fun and funny. And sometimes you'll say something that's just awful and I just, it really <laughs> tickles me inside. Like I'm really like, ha! Like the laugh will come out like really explosively, it really breaks my um my my performative construct of like who I am as a person I just find it really funny I think we store pieces of ourselves in our friendships Toni Morrison said in the book Beloved she is a friend of my mind she gather me man the pieces I am she gather them and give them back to me in all the right order So think of your friends. What are they storing with you? What are you storing with them? Space where we're like a lot, we're like wicked friends. We're like we're like, it's like this little space where we're allowed to be wicked. That's, yeah, it's fantastic. But that's the giving you back the pieces of yourself. Like there's pieces of yourself that, you know, are oppressed by the culture. Mm, I yes. always love the way that and you you talk about like partnerships, like any yoking, any partnership, like in a way it gives you stuff, but it also takes stuff away, right? It also constrains you in certain ways. And, and a friend is somebody who can... Like, all right, let's let's blow off some steam about these constraints that we're living under, mm. Mm. and, and, and make you see the fun, good. the not the fun of them, the ridiculousness of them. Like, I like the absurd. I like friendships where they you, you those lines are pointed to and they become absurd, and you're like, they're funny. They become funny. The tragedy becomes funny. COVID reportedly. I mean, we're not through COVID yet. But COVID reportedly has had a really big impact upon friendships. People are reporting a statistical drop-off in the number of friends, but people are also reporting splits in friendships as, as personal circumstances reveal that we're not all in the same boat. For example, 
with finances or your job or whether or not you need to social shield or whether you're homeschooling your children or you're on your own, whether you're in a relationship or not, whether you have a house or not. You know, friendship is in theory under threat because of this bigger other external threat. Although I hope that for many, their lived experience says that that is not true and that they've actually experienced a surge in real friendship because it's it's too important, isn't it? As, as we were talking about earlier, it's too important as a thing to lose. But I do think that what causes a lot of friendships to end is that the ask and the offer on each side become become no longer compatible in some ways. And I really don't like thinking of relationships as transactional. There are loads of people who will argue that all human relationships are transactional. And frankly, I just don't really like those people. But maybe... Maybe friendships are an attempt to shore ourselves up against ruin as we move through all the hard things. C.S. Lewis said, you know, friendship has no survival value, but it gives value to survival. One of the things that Rachel and I discovered when we were making the friendship show is that it's, it's quite hard to talk about a subject when it doesn't have its own language. So we thought we'd give it a go, <laughs> trying to write something together, to try to find some metaphors to talk about friendship. Number one, house. Dear listener. Ladies and gentlemen, let us sell you something you may already have. Friendship. You may have friends in your portfolio you're considering. Such fertile plots of land, such landscape, such open sky. Maybe there are old sofas out in concrete yards. Maybe there is broken fencing, windows where you lobbed a rock right at the centre pitch and the smash was heard for miles. But a fixer-upper is a real opportunity. Potential. Maybe you're thinking of a tumble-down cottage in an English village. Maybe you're thinking of your dream home, each thing fine-tuned to fit, perfect countertops herb garden, laundry room. It's a perfect time for development when the market is in such downturn and we've all been facing such cliffs, such a period of unstable fixings. A great time to check foundations, call in a surveyor to confirm the price and cost of staying with it, regrout the bathroom and voila, a nest again. Number two, car. Sometimes this will hum along and sometimes it will stall and whether it's old or new, it takes some upkeep. Maybe in your 20s, you're driving it in fifth gear and you take the top down and fly along the highway. Maybe in your 30s, you install a baby car seat and spend 10 years scrubbing the upholstery. Maybe in your 40s, it gets safe and you have seat warmers and you feel confident that if you crashed, the AA would be in the local proximity. Maybe you have not spent enough time on maintenance. Maybe it's got so many miles, like that time for moral support, you went the length of three counties. Number three, Netflix. I'd like to pitch a different show, an active show, a show made for you, containing you. And there's so many episodes, the one where you arrive, the one with the date, the one with all the disasters, the arc where you move to a new place or divorce, the arc where there is cancer. The one where you watch your dogs at the local rec and discuss recipes. There'll probably be a birthday episode and a Christmas episode. And maybe, even though there isn't usually background music, we can get you worked up, 
into the story. Maybe the swing of the series reminds you to leave your sofa, to reach across the screen, to draw back the curtains, to let the light in. Four, a thing that can't be owned. Except maybe it, it isn't any of these. More like a bird that nests in the hedge of your garden. Maybe you watch it, bring back morsels for little traffic cone beaks. Take tentative steps to the edge and commit faith to wind and instinct and come summer, maybe they return. Maybe, like that time that there was a stag in the garden and it stood staring down the house saying silently such glistening wild, such paths before clearing the fence in a leap. Maybe, like waiting for spring, some days the ground is so frozen it's like looking at stars. And those bulbs that you planted might rise with such impossible green. Or they might sleep whole seasons. Maybe like a wind that blew through that told you something. How to lean into storms. How to tuck your head. What warmth there is in others' wings. And whether or not you are any good at friendship or not, you get points for playing, just for trying to take part. Because even if you're not very good at it, or maybe you're learning how, or maybe you're an expert, you do, you do get points just for taking part. Because it is work. And it is an act of love. When my kids were little, I would give them stickers on a chart for good choices. And we so rarely get that once we get past the age of eight. And we think so much about what we get as friends. We would like you to think of the times that you have given. When you stood on a cold train platform texting someone who needed. When you remembered that they only like to eat ice cream with a little spoon. When you, together, tried to cross the icy road and held their arm. You get a sticker. Or a cake. Or a pat on the back. Or a round of applause. Or a frigging medal. Actually, throw yourself a ticker tape parade. Wave at the crowd in your imagination as they yell themselves hoarse. Hooray for all those quiet times you did right. Friendship is such an unlikely thing to do. And I think it's... I think it's kind of amazing how we keep trying to align and how clumsy that can be sometimes. You know, like a kid who's sitting there with two Lego bricks that keeps just trying, trying to fit them together. It's so human, this reaching. Maybe you don't notice too much how your brain chemistry shifts, how it softens, the dopamine hit. But I hope you have someone who cares or will hear what you say. Such invisible strings that bind us, the same as the earth to the moon. You are not the kind of person who is meant to live without them. None of us are. If you can, don't be in it alone. <laughs>